Greetings, fellow explorers. Robin here. Our podcasts, comics, stories, and dreams are supported by generous patrons like you. If you'd like to join the adventure, please go to patreon.com slash mocopress, M-O-K-O press, to become a supporter. A special thanks to Patrick for already joining us on this journey. Hello and welcome. I'm Robin Childs. I'm Corey Childs. And I'm Matt Parker. Together we form the MoCo Expedition, three good friends exploring the mysteries of storytelling craft. Sometimes on your journey as a writer, you encounter questions that sit in the back of your mind and seem to have no clear answer. In the MoCo Expedition chat episodes, we'll be unraveling some of the different storytelling conundrums that we've encountered. Long unanswered questions will be unearthed, observations revealed, and theories discovered or debunked, as the case may be. Today's episode is a little more informal, as we talk about the unique challenges that each of us are facing publishing our creative work online. So grab your writing notebook, put on your best adventurer's cap, and welcome to the MoCo Expedition. I am now getting to do this, deal with some of the problems that I never even considered with this form of fiction. Oh? Uh, like, one, the literally going insane that I can't just dump the plot on people. <laughs> I know! And two, uh... the problems of when I described, first described a character a month ago or six weeks ago when I started writing the, the, the backlog, and then when I'm trying to put up a character's page and I've described them differently... To the point where there was even one character whose name had completely changed. Hell yeah. And it's not a minor character. It w- it's his son. <laughs> right now, Matt, you're invisible. That's this, this is the, wel- the advantage to having not a big readership. You can go back and change that well, and no one will ever know. And it is the benefit of text as opposed to comic. Yeah, you don't have to redraw anything. I don't have to redraw a page. I just go in and go, that was, I'm sitting there at my desk looking around like I'm rolling up a joint as I'm working on my cell phone to edit my, the page from my desk so that you know, Siobhan's description matches one place and another. Yep. Sneaky, sneaky. Yeah, good times. You learn early in the process, I guess. Now, I mean, it is a big, like, sort of infuriating feeling. There's, you're so excited to get to certain pieces, and you can't tell anybody about it, and you can't share it, because you know, logically, that if you do, then you'll have to start uh, making everything up day of. Right. And that's not a sustainable situation. No, like this week. I've got stuff I want to write, but I'm also, after this podcast, I've got to put probably 2,000 words on a mod, write four different relics for um, uh, Witch Hunter. I would love to put down an idea that I had earlier uh, and start writing my article, one of the now two articles for the Webcomic Alliance. So I'm definitely glad I've got that backlog because this week went from I've got a thing or two to do to holy f- And that's exactly why I always recommend a buffer. But 
there's a lot of comic artists out there that can't handle that feeling. They yeah. just can't handle yep. it. Um, and they blow their buffer. And then they, you know, always talk about how they wish they had a buffer because they're pulling all-nighters to get things done. But the fact of the matter is that they can't, they well, can't build the up an, a resistance are. to that feeling. They're not, yeah. they're not, they're not a buffery artist. Yeah. Which is fine. And, you know, I would never, I'd never tell someone that, especially not, you know, under a month in, that they're crazy for how they do it, because how you do it is how you do it, but... Yeah, I did. If I was writing it day to day this week, I would explode. I would just die. Well, and I think it's why a lot of people don't make it past like the six month mark. Is that they get in and then they go, "This is actually a lot of work. I didn't prepare for it at all. I didn't research yeah. it at all. And now I can't keep up with myself." Yeah. Good on you for managing to hold that tension. Um, I'd love to say that it gets easier, but it really doesn't. <laughs> no, but it's like, you know, it's it's you one of those things it. where I can go, other people are dealing with it, so obviously it can be dealt with. Yes. It can. It gets even, like, I'm not sure if it gets better or worse when you start getting comments from people. Because especially when theorizing starts happening, and either people will be exactly spot on, and you can't tell them. Or they'll be way off. And you can't, you can't brag. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is why usually my, the, the, the very coy, I guess you'll just have to wait and see, is what you'll see a lot, on, at least on do. my stuff, when, when someone starts theorizing with me, is it's just this, like, I can neither confirm nor deny what you have just said. Yeah. And, I you know, I want to get to that point. Largely because if they come up with really cool things, I want to steal them. That's better than what I had. Yeah, that's what's going to happen now. <laughs> yeah. No, I love, I absolutely love the, the shrug of God. Sure, why not? <laughs> I haven't come up with an explanation for that, and that is not dumb. You have a, have a free gift card. Congratulations. <laughs> You're smart. For having figured this out. <laughs> this that I meant all along. Yes, that's right. Sure. Another Why one that I'm thinking of that I see a lot... I mean, I had someone e uh, email me just this week about it. It's just that that empty void feeling when you're just starting out and no one is commenting. Yes. Oh my god, yes. Is a real struggle. And it's like a phase that comes in and out. Um, and I just, it's, I think, and probably everyone has to come up with their own way of, of dealing with it. Um, it's really bad for, for just an individual project. And I found that there are some places like um, DeviantArt that seem to amplify oh, yeah. the feeling entirely. Whereas this sort of like comment addiction Mm -hmm. where there's this huge high if someone comments. Um, and you and read then, into it so much. Yeah. And then there's this big fallout period. So I guess that there's that's Withdrawal, two separate yeah. issues. That's One is dealing with the void of having no interaction, um, and the other is dealing with the, the addiction that can become interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So Matt, you had a pretty strong reaction to, to what I said. What are you experiencing right now with border? Oh, it's just, I mean, uh, I, I have to various people referred to border as the occasionally read by my father webcomic uh, border. And it's just, I felt like right at the beginning, I was fairly certain that I was getting reads and because, you know, people liked it, people commented on it. But then after that first kind of after launch day, when I share something, you know, I'll get a like from, from Robin, I'll get a like and a comment from my dad. Um, and a hundred percent of the comments on the website right now are my dad. Um, <laughs> And they're in a very conversationally dad style. Like I finally hey got him down. Sport. From, <laughs> I finally got him down from addressing them like letters, starting with Matthew, <laughs> comma, return, return. Then what he wanted to comment, and then love dad at the end. And it's like on the one hand, I adore That's them. <laughs> it's Don't like, do that. Wow. You'll give up the game. Yeah, it's like ah, uh, this is. This is me bringing home my school project that no one else gave a crap about, but Dad loves it, right. and I'm I'm thankful. I don't want because I think he listens to the podcast because I know I subscribed his phone to it. Right, right. Um, <laughs> that I, I'm grateful for it, and I wish that every writer in the world had one person they could take whatever they've written to, who would just love it unconditionally because there is a great reinforcement there uh, to help counteract the natural uh, artist. I have created this and now must immediately believe it is terrible. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, please, someone else comment on my website. (laughs) Just let me know you're there. I need to know. I need to know you're present. Because I could just, I could just send this to my dad on a on a weekly basis, otherwise, and not pay for hosting. Um, and on on the one hand, I think I'm a little bit more well equipped than some people starting online fiction projects because in my mind, I've always wanted to be a novel writer, and so. To me, writing is you sit in the basement and you type it and no one sees it except for a very small group of people until you get it published. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're putting it out there and you'd have to be insane not to go, is anyone reading this? Is anyone even seeing my links when I post them on Facebook? In the case of Facebook, often the answer actually is no. Yeah, because of right. Facebook. Well, but yeah, there's that. Because of, of their weird Policy jury rigging of everything yeah. that they have. But um, you were going to say something, Corey. I was just going to uh, comment about how terrible of a friend I am. I haven't read Border yet. Oh, <laughs> I'm a better friend than you. Well, okay, you know, you know how I get. Well, I'm I, a like, terrible friend. I like. Okay, he, he, here's the deal, and. I've gotten to the point where I can't really, like... Yeah, yes, it's bad, I guess, but I, I know myself now. And that is basically... I know if I am obligated to read it, I won't. Uh-huh. And you can hate me as much as you want, and it will get worse and worse, and I still won't read it, because there will be that... 
obligation and and I can feel that that pattern I have where where I freeze I, I like like I become like ice and I sink and okay ice doesn't ice sink. Floats, um, but, but like like I, I, I ball up and I'm like yeah uh, that's never gonna happen so like like I, I really really react negatively to that kind of enforcement borders the kind of project I will read I'll just have to get to it in my own time and, and that's fair. Uh, I will I will point out, however, that you do have everything that was current up through like the two weeks ago. I like that of the stuff I've written in the last two weeks available to you to read in one chunk I when know. you desire it. I know. Yeah, but I guess that's, that's that's the thing. I know I have to come to it on my own. And if somebody tries to force me to come to it before then, that guarantees I never will read it. I'm weird that way. And that's fair. I'm so, deeply I mean, contrary. Yeah, I've. <laughs> I guarantee you, over the 16, 17 years that I've known you, I have definitely noticed that. Is it true to you that Corey might no, have wait. a bit of no, you element? <laughs> well, you uh, could have warned me. <laughs> well, no. See, oh, yeah, like but, you hadn't noticed. Right. I, I went away, I went to, to Greeley, Corey went to Golden, and the next time I saw him, you guys were a package deal. Oh, really? So, Pretty much. Because remember, well. I didn't have a car my first year. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, pretty much. I didn't have a chance. Fair, fair enough. You get a pass this time. <laughs> But yeah, and I and I definitely get that, and I get that there are people who one that I I have a very limited exposure, and I'm trying to work on that, and two, that um, there are people who will even look at it and say, oh well, you know, I'm in my first month still, so I don't read anything without. I think you mentioned this, Robin. I don't read anything until it's got a certain amount of backlog. Mm-hmm. Or it's not so much that it's a backlog, it's that uh, people are so jaded now about projects just sort of up and quitting, you know, like at the six-month mark or three months in or whatever it happens to be, that that a lot of people won't mentally allow themselves to commit to even, like, liking or enjoying a product. Like, it's like they've been burned so many times mm-hmm. they won't let themselves fall in love with anything until they're, they're, they have conclusive evidence that you are actually serious about this. They'll read it, they'll lurk, and they will do a mental arithmetic about when they think you'll quit. Yeah. And if you beat all expectations, bam, you got a fan for life. Well, maybe. Well, like, I can say for border, I've got at least, I think... After this week's, I've st- after this week, I've still got six more weeks of backlog written. I'm into chapter three, so come on out if you're listening. <laughs> well, you might, you might just put that on the comment underneath uh, the next section you write. By the way, I totally have this much more materially in the can right now, so <laughs> I'm and not that going anywhere. Brings up a good a good piece, and the I mentioned that this issue came up with an email that I got this week, and my reply was just that. Um, part of it is uh, how you engage your readership. Um, I know that with Leylines, when I first started the site, um, the, it was hard to leave a comment, for one. It required a lot of work. Because first you had to locate where the comments were. Then you had to click to go to a separate page to read the comments. To leave a comment, you had to scroll down to the bottom of that page, click another button, sign in, and then 
you could leave a comment. So that's way too much work. When I redesigned the website, I made it so that all you had to do to leave a comment was it was all, all comments were readable on the front page in association with the page that they were on. You just scroll down to the bottom, there's an empty field, you type stuff in, you hit post. Yeah, and I think it's fairly simple on mine. So that's a piece of it. Um, and then the other thing that I started doing is that the, if you look at the Leyline site now, there's commentary in blogs under every page where I talk about something. I didn't have that in the original launch. I actually went back and added things in because I realized that in order to start a conversation, it couldn't be the commenter who had that burden. It had to be me. Um, yeah. Because it's you're, you're defining the space. I was defining the space. Well, ask a question. That, th I think that's the easiest key. You want comments, invite a response. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, that's part a, of it is... Go on. I was going to say, I hadn't considered going in and adding comments to my own work, largely because I didn't want to... Uh, if it already feels a little bit like an echo chamber, I think I worried about it being even more masturbatory. Well, people want to see the process. They want to know what you're thinking, what goes into your art. There's a really good article on the Webcomic Alliance, um, and I will make sure to have a link in the show notes for this. Um, it's written by Drez Rodriguez, but it's called No Comments, No Friends, No Problem. And the entire thing is dedicated to this particular problem. Um, and he kind of goes through and talks about how to understand the reader mindset uh, because it's different than the creator mindset. Um, different kinds of mindsets from readers because you'll have casual readers, fans, new readers. Uh, and then to kind of combo different approaches to engage uh, readership. And I think it's a really well done um, article. About, What's it called? It's called uh, No Comments, No Friends, No Problem. And if you just go to uh, www.webcomicalliance.com, on the right they have a little search bar. You can just type in comments. It's the third article down. And the only thing that I would add to it is that for my personal trick, what he recommends is talking about the theme of, of or the setting or something related to the comment uh, to the comic or to the post, or in your case, to the fiction that you've posted that day, um, and then finishing with some sort of query to the reader um, or a contest or something that uh, engages and invites people to talk. And for me, what it was is I tried to make it the goal of always asking a how or a what question at the end. Something that's open-ended and broad that can't be answered with just a yes or a no. Um, and sometimes it can be, you know, a deep, thoughtful question. Other times it can be something silly. Like the other day I asked uh, if you had to come up with an analogy for what life was like that was that is far better than the life is like a box of chocolates because that's a stupid analogy. But it was still a food. What would you choose? <laughs> that's really okay. specific. <laughs> yeah, but it can be. Sure. And I got, a, I got a lot of response to that bizarre little question. I'm immediately re remembering the smorgasbord that uh, Adam Reed regaled us for three hours with. Well, and I guess that's the thing, though, is you can immediately think of a response. Yeah, exactly. As Everybody immediately as has is. a response. So it doesn't necessarily have to be related to 
what you're posting. It could just be related to you. And I call this becoming human. Okay. Especially with uh, content providers, whether you're a comic creator or a writer, you're not human to people online, which sounds strange, but you're equivalent to a content producing robot. Yeah, they don't know you. They can't know you unless you let them. And while people do um, get a sense of you from your work, it's not an accurate sense because most people don't know how to interpret metaphor very well. Yeah, and we've talked about that previously. Um, so the blog posts are basically get to know who you are. What, what kinds of things do you think about? What kinds of things do you like? What do you watch? What do you read? What are you doing in your life right now? Um, and bringing out your particular voice. I think you could be dynamite just because you have a natural humor voice, but, um, maybe that's just me looking from the outside in. I've never managed to successfully handle humor very well because I just... I don't think I'm a very humorous person unless I'm actually riffing off of someone else. So when when left to my own devices, I'm like, you know, life is really absurd in its existence. Like, <laughs> it really is just a miracle in sort of a sad way that we exist at all. And I want to just sit and think about how strange it is that anyone bothers to do anything but yet we all should. Like that's that's like left to my own devices. That's what I come up with. So you you know everyone has to come up with their own their own thing. But that is genuinely me. Um, who who what you genuinely think of will be different. But I think inviting people into your into the Matthew space, in addition to the border KS space, yep, is important. And that's a good idea. And that's something that I think I will start integrating because I know you ask questions and I know that you've I, I hadn't ever thought that the equivalent of your little blog posts underneath it would be me leaving the first comment on every page. It almost is in a weird way. It's it's opening the discussion because people kind of want to know that they're wanted. You know? It's, it's you, you, we set the tone so strongly with how we design the website and then how we interact with people. That the nice part is that for the most part, until people get, you know, big and famous and they kind of lose that control element, you will get the kinds of readers that you project as a person. So I've I've managed to have some fascinating conversations on leylines.com about really interesting deep subjects, um, and I've never had flame wars or any kinds of problems, even when talking about like difficult issues like racism or bigotry people get you know heated but i think any any time you can be anywhere on the on the internet and actually have a serious discussion about the nature of good or evil and whether or not anyone is that one or the other or that kind of thing and no one resorts to name calling is a pretty remarkable thing i'm very proud of the readers that i have Uh, yeah and that's that's ultimately the reason why i'm doing border and I may have discussed this on the on the webcomic uh, or on the podcast rather before. Is I'm doing border because I want to develop that readership. Because sitting alone, banging out novels is, or you know, the first eight thousand words of novels before some other shiny idea pops in my head, um, is ultimately a very solitary pursuit. And mm-hmm. I want to have an opportunity to connect with people on a level that that doesn't lead me. That 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 isn't open to me until and unless I ever actually 
sell something and get to go on a book tour. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's, things that's actually... that go ahead. Oh, it's just I was going to say that sounds a lot like why we're doing this, the podcast. Yeah, and having a, a voice in the community is you know good. It's a very similar desire, that ability mm-hmm. to interact that I've loved. Uh, everybody who's ever sent in something to us that we've read, that we've talked to on the on the podcast website, I love that because that's what I don't get when I'm sitting down here writing things and sharing it with my small group of, of proofreaders and advanced readers. Exactly. Well, and the great thing about the internet is it allows you to develop connections that would be impossible otherwise. Um. And I, there are people that I probably care more about that I've never met in person, that I've met through ley lines, than actual people that I've known in person from college or high school or wherever. It's the people people move from the abstract into the real over time, and that's a pretty neat um, process to have happen. But it also kind of leads us a little bit into the the comic the comment addiction, um, and I, I know Corey, you've kind of had a bit of you, well, you've run into this the it. same way that I've run into yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I had a brief, brief spat with it back when we were running our OCT. Um, I did some spectator entries. I mean, I'm a judge. None of my material, I like I specifically said, none of my materials can, and you don't have to integrate it with your original characters in the tournament. Just as a writer, I wanted to challenge myself and create an entry for my own tournament that would be completely unjudged and just kind of there. And um, it got a lot of responses uh, real quick. And but but very quickly, it's it's kind of that. Well, why aren't why don't people continue to discuss this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Here I am, like two, three months later, and it's. The comment well is run dry on that thing, and you know, for for me that was an odd experience. I think a lot of people uh, uh, can kind of dodge that bullet because they're constantly producing work, but I wasn't. So if you're always creating something new for for uh, for critique, that's good. But if you're not, it it goes away quick, and that can be a surprise. It can be a shock. And I've also seen people uh, run into sort of a. Uh comment it's like you know you build up a tolerance for alcohol if you drink enough of it mm-hmm. it's like a comment yeah. tolerance it starts happening so it's like oh well the same person's always comment no one knew comments or the same people didn't comment this time and there it's it starts to be like what was what once would have made your your day is now not enough and it, it it becomes this sort of like more more more. I need more input. And I've seen a variety of of uh, artists completely implode um, over not getting enough comments, and it has this huge negative impact and depressive cycle about how their work's not any good, and no one likes what they do, and um, it can just be really damaging to to them and 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 their psyches. And it's it's something that um, I think part of it is it can be format. I remember when on Shades of Grey I put a chat box that was live so that people could just almost have a conversation on the website and it was the most toxic thing I ever did to myself in website design because I became like a refresh monster. I had to know what if someone said something now, something now, something now, something now. And it took everything way out of proportion and way out of uh, 
I took everything to heart way too fast and way too hard and, and read everything overly negatively, even if it wasn't intended that way. So I don't know what necessarily the solution is to that. I don't remember when... Well, there isn't any one solution because everybody's no, personality I guess everyone is, is different. different. What, did, what, what helped you stop getting comment uh, dependent? Um, I guess that, that's hard to say. Um, moving on, having something else to focus on, something else to write on was always good. And it helped that since we were judging the OCT, I had to... I had to work. I had to read other people's stuff. I had to look at everybody's work with a critical eye. And that immediately takes your mind off of your own uh, woes, I guess. So um, that, that that was definitely a part of it. The other bit of it is just, uh, I mean, I'll still go back and I'll reread my stuff. And I will reread the comments associated with those stories. I guess that's enough for me now. I mean, I, like, I did enough to move somebody once. And that that's good. A lot of people, you know, have stories that don't move anybody. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Part of it might have been that captive audience thing. I think for some reason, uh, one reason why the uh, res response was so strong is because I was a judge in their OCT. And, you yeah. know, it never <laughs> hurts to score brownie points with the judge. So, of course your work's great. <laughs> we are not <laughs> We are not incorruptible. We are just expensive. <laughs> To steal a phrase from my other Corey friend. Uh, well, I mean, not not that I let it affect my judgment, and I never did, but um, I just I, like that might have contributed to the big response turnout. Uh, at that point, we had a big network because we were running uh, a tournament with what a hundred and twenty people in it, and uh, multiple judges, and it, there was a large network, and I was at. A, a big. I was a big part of that network. I was near the top of that network. So, well, of course, I had a big audience. You were interacting with people pretty regularly as well. Say what? You were interacting with people pretty regularly as That's well. That's true. Because you were making not only the, the judges' comments, but at that time, you and I both were much more involved. Especially as moderators on the uh, the chat function. and Yeah, mm -hmm. we, we were around a lot, and that helps. So, anyway... Um, as for getting over it, yeah, I guess time, uh, just kind of, uh, again, uh, keep busy, always work for your next thing. I mean, it, it, it can be easy to kind of stop and like look, but uh, like, I think the trick is to, uh, particularly if you have kind of that buffer is to, uh, always be, always be moving like a shark, always be moving forward. If by the time you're getting comments on this, you've already completed the next thing and it's ready to go and you're working on the next thing and that's re uh, almost ready to go, then the comments aren't going to matter so much because you have to focus, you have to continue. I think that's a really good solution. For me, I think it hit the hardest on my first Kickstarter where um, I had tied myself, I realized that my I had tied my self-worth to... Um, Whether or not we got funded. Whether or not we got funded, but also like every individual pledge was like a, a point of validation. Like, oh, you know, I, I must be doing something good, and therefore I must be a good person because this person backed. Right. Right. Um, and that I'm, that ties into the basic: if we were all, if we were completely whole people who didn't need validation, we wouldn't be artists. We wouldn't need mm -hmm. to write. Yeah. We would, or at the very least, would have no need to share. Yeah. Right. Well, we'd have nothing to share. Mm. Yeah, if we were completely whole, there'd be no, right. there'd no be need a, to that, use to be art an, as a way to work through something. Right. 
to be an artist is to have some fundamental need uh, that that you need to express via art, whether it is an issue that you are attempting to work out via art therapy or it is simply a cry for attention because you are well, it can that even be kind just, of just tweaked. It can, it can even just be, uh, you know, I, I need to grow I, or I am a growing human being and this is an exploration. Mm-hmm. I but find yeah, that there a lot. is. If if we were completely unbroken as people, we wouldn't be creative types. Yeah. But I once I I realized that 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 I was getting this because when people didn't back on that first one because there is a lull, then it felt like a, a condemnation, like I'm a bad person. No one wants like and 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 then it didn't matter how many people had supported before then. All that mattered was that I wasn't getting anything at that time. So it, it was almost the same thing as the, the a lack of comments after getting comments. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I realized that, it occurred to me that I had to figure out how to self-validate. That was one. And two, that who I was as a person and what my work was were two separate things. I mean, they're linked because I put so much of myself into my work and I have so much love and attention for it but at the end of the day i am not my comic book right and that was like a really strange thing to realize because so much was tied up into it but i think that was the beginning of starting to detach there's still a sense of like oh no one's commented on this page why haven't they and then usually coral will be like did you end with a question no well then that's why yeah, it's it's usually pretty attributable. <laughs> <laughs> so, what other things what other um, are issues that that creative people publishing stuff online run into? What are you running into right now, Matt? We've we've talked a little bit about uh, that that comments. We've talked a little bit about um, uh, buffer and not being able to share <laughs> what you want to th- share. I think those are the biggest ones for me right now are I've got what I think are cool things coming up. You know, I've got I was just looking over what what I've got pending for the upcoming weeks. I've got, you know, somebody who is described as looking like uh, moving like they were made of ass kickings. I finally get to a little bit of plot and shooting after character work. Somebody gets punched in the face. And I have what I think are some very cool character moments coming up. And it's it's driving me nuts that I can't share it. That it has to go in time and that I know if I dump it all out at once, I won't develop a readership. I'll just develop, you know, that, that people will read it, sure, but I won't have that kind of experience and community that I'm trying to build. Well, how so? Because you you won't have just written it? No, what I mean is that there is something, I think there is something about the webcomic format, about the regular release, about the unfurling experienced as a community that, that creates that sense of community. That if I just put up all six more weeks of what I have... I'll have the story out there and lots of people will see it, but then there's no reason for anybody to come back on Thursday. There's no reason for anybody 
to regularly join in this experience. Okay, so you're saying that the the community itself is created by that ritual element. I think I think it feeds into it. I think that the knowledge of of that you are logging on and you are experiencing at the same time as other people is mm-hmm. part of what cements that community of a webcomic. There, while there is a, a benefit to an archive binge, and that is because I'm impatient traditionally how I prefer to consume uh, online media, that there is there is a sense of, of completeness and of being caught up and of being in on the in-jokes that you have when you are caught up and you are reading regularly that you don't get if it's just, you know, every month I purge out, you know, I put up more of this story. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I think that's a fair um, fair thought, is that the ritual element is an important part of that, the, repet- the repeated being part of a community feeling. And I think there probably are things to that can be done in addition to um, emphasize that feeling. I guess that's, that's, you know, in large part what community building is all about. And there's, it is a different, Corey always reminds me whenever I'm fretting about like an installment that doesn't feel like it does enough in a single page or, you know, it takes too much time uh, that when people are archive diving, that will be a different experience Yeah. than um, if they are experiencing it one page every Monday and one page every Wednesday. Oh, yeah, one of our really, really big uh, common discussions is uh, Robin almost always has this eye about, okay, well, if you're reading the comic as it comes out, you know, it'll be, it'll be months between uh, major plot points. It'll be a long time between uh, page X and page Y, and, and that matters to uh, a viewer. And my response is, I'm always looking at the long term. How is it going to look when somebody's looking at it through the archive? How is it going to look in print? Because that's the format that's going to endure forever. And uh, both of them are valid, of course. You don't want to lose your current fan base by by boring them to death right now. But at the same time, I feel like it's always really, really important to kind of give yourself a little bit of grace and uh, allow your pacing to be a little more uh, slow in order to serve the plot. You don't want to you don't want to have people read through it and be like, "Oh, that was great going week to week," but now that I have the book, man, it is just way too fast. You know, there's an explosion every page. There's, you know. So uh, there's there's no there's no tension relief there's no moment of, of of quietness because you're spending all of your time trying to uh, trying to create something that is as exciting as possible if you're only reading it twice a week. So that's definitely an interesting perspective to have. I think it's I think it's good to kind of understand that. How about you, Matt? I mean, here you are. You're releasing all this stuff. How how does your story read if it's all, read all at once? Well, right now, very poorly because there's nothing really happening yet right um but i think that that's a a a problem of it being very new the way i am writing it they are more like like short scenes in a book than they are truly independent chunks and i think that that's on purpose um, in that if I collected them all right now, if I sent, because I use a, if, if I'm going to buzz market, I use a word processor called Scrivener, 
which lets me divide it into a whole work divided into chapters with individual scenes within it. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, if I were to go through and do this, it would be a little bit chunky, but it wouldn't be bad. Each scene lasts, you know, about two pages. So looking at my chapter two, which I have done, uh, or at least written out, but not posted. Let me see. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen, twenty. That chapter would last twenty pages of a book. Mm-hmm. And that's you know that's that's about right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little it's a little more scene by scene than most books, uh, most chapters in books, but I don't think so terribly that it wouldn't work collected together. Right. I guess I guess my point is is you're already kind of thinking about that by saying, Man, I, I, I want everything out today, you know, I, I really want to share everything as quickly as possible and get to the good stuff and it, it hurts me to not, not be able to immediately share. But on the plus side that means that you, you feel like when when uh, somebody does read that archive uh, two, five, ten years from now, they're going to want to read more because it's going to have that energy. It's going to have that tension. They're going to want to feel that uh, that rush to get to the next thing the same way you're feeling it now. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's a good thing, is that that if I can keep that tension, if I can keep that interest. But, you know, at that same time, I you want to reveal it to your audience. I want my audience to know what's going to happen because like I, like I said, you have that need for them to know and for them to like it. But at the same time, you, like I said, I'll lo- I know I will lose out on that community. I know that then part of what makes border different than a lot of projects, um, because besides the other one that you posted to Robin, I haven't seen a lot of web comic style serial fictions out there. Yeah, I haven't either other than like, if you exclude the idea of fan fiction, which is also often kind of random installments, I haven't seen a lot of of continuous regular fiction created. So if I just dump it out there, I, I will become one more voice of people posting chunks of novels as they go along, as opposed to someone who is trying to do a webcomic, a, a written webcomic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think and that the, addresses? Uh, I just, one, on. one quick note. Um, the uh, work that, that uh, Matt was mentioning was um, by Andy Goldman, and it's called The Only City Left. Um, and it is a really exciting, there's a fun, it's a fun narrative that I would recommend checking out if you're also curious about maybe trying out um, doing a serialized narrative project yourself. So, had to get my plug in for Andy, because he's, he's been really great to us. So. Yes, he has. So, do you think that addresses that issue of, uh, I guess, man, there's I not th- a real good word for, for that feeling of it's wanting to sort of get everything out. It's this sort of anticipation, like, and I can yeah. understand, like... I think that the thing that really gets to me about it is that the things that I always think people are going to be excited by, like the the, the pages that I'm like, oh man, can't wait to post this, isn't they're never the pages that people actually get excited about, yeah. or at least it it happen the reverse happens often enough that I remember too many times being like, 
that no reaction to this? Really? Come on, this is awesome! And then I'll post a different page where I don't think all that much is happening and people will go crazy about it. So I think the other aspect of it is that there's this weird sort of tension anticipation. But when it actually goes live, people never interpret things in the live experience the same way that they do in the imagined experience of the writer and that's that's common i've heard that from so many cartoonists now where it's like that people think like oh i've crafted this amazing joke and it, this is really going to have him rolling in the aisles and then there's just bupkis well, response. but have you rolling in the aisles is the answer yeah and, or what and you then wrote, they'll you. post something that they kind of were like last minute threw it out because they just had to get it done and people will just go crazy for it and they're like sure. what what am i doing wrong so I think there's there's that that uh, it's like an anticipation, and then a reality checking, like. Well, uh, what I've noticed is that pretty much every single issue we've had here, talking about how uh, us posting stuff online and being online creators is, has to do with our insecurities. Almost all of them start and end there. Oh well, yeah. By and by and large, people that create fiction and post it online are notorious for being. Insecure bags of neuroses. Like Oscar Wilde and Mark Twain. And... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a joke. But, um, I they guess. They weren't I exactly guess... people that fit in. Yeah, sure. Sure. But I guess those were kind of the kind of people who were very comfortable not fitting in. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm totally the opposite. I, I like to think that, man, oh, I, I don't care what other people think, and, but man, I really do. And I think everybody is like that to an extent. Well, Mark Twain and Oscar Wilde probably were more, far more than we know as more well. More than they would admit. Yeah, I, I don't, guess I don't think that anyone is uh, is is that defiant about being who <laughs> they are without caring, feeling like they need to defend themselves. Yeah, fair enough. I guess Ernest Hemingway committed suicide because he felt like he couldn't live up to his own ideals, but. At the same time, right. I'm sure many, that was. I, I, I would say that there's that the authors that we look at that you listed are authors who have created a space in which they fit in through their work. Yes. Because I think most. I mean, look at the number of artists who commit suicide or who drink themselves to death, passive suicide. I do, I think that it's it's not fair to say necessarily that they're all super easy at fitting in. It's just that they, through you know whether it's leaving to Paris or becoming recluses, they create a space where they can fit in through their work and their artistic endeavors. And that's what the community of a webcomic, to me, is. Right. Yeah, very much so. This is reminding me of, I've been listening to um, the podcast Surviving Creativity, um, which is run by Scott Kurtz of PVP and... Um, Brad Geiger, and um, then they have various guests on, and it's it's run by uh, an individual named Corey, I believe it's Corey, um, who's kind of, I think, the business manager for um, at least Scott's work. And uh, Scott said something that just really, it just, I felt put the head, put the, hit the nail on the head, which was just that so many creative people are such lost souls, and part of why they create is because they're they, they can't seem to find a place where they fit anywhere else and i just that to me i i really felt that strongly because i pursued a 
uh, career and got a degree in something that I actively hated. Uh, and when I realized that I couldn't continue living doing something that I hated, tried to transition over to doing part-time something that at least I could feel satisfied with to try and pursue somehow making this comic thing work, even though I know that it's, you know, the longest shot in the world. I, me and the NBA would be a, a, a better choice. Chances, well, I probably. I, I wholeheartedly disagree, because even with the NBA, there's a reason why you stopped doing that, too. You hated it. Oh, and no, I mean, anything... and like, as in, like, basketball. NBA, not M. Oh. Not M. Well, yeah, okay. I okay. did that for a while, too, but... <laughs> well, you were in the NBA? No, the, the, I was trying to get an... <laughs> I feel like you're playing me right I now. I might be. <laughs> Um, I guess my point is, is you, you're never going to be able to succeed at something you hate. It just it doesn't happen. I know what happens for me. I mean, I was telling you earlier about how I haven't read Matt's work because I would feel pressured. Well, that extends to every facet of my life. If I hate it, man, you will you will never get me to do it. You're and, like that angry dog that just sort of yeah. like sits on the ground and then just sort of growls whenever you try and get it to move. No, it doesn't even growl. I don't even have to growl. All I have to do is just sit there. You just make that odd... And then, and then let gravity become extra strong on me, and then I can't move, be moved. It, it's that. But the, the fact of the matter is, is the reason why we, we are drawn to uh, art is because we like it. And we all know that kid uh, back when we were growing up who hated art class. Well, he was never going to be a good artist because he doesn't like it, and He's well, I hated art class, and... but for entirely different reasons. Sure, but... sure. I'm, I, you know what I mean, though. Like, like there were the, there was the kid who hated art class because he hated art. Didn't didn't understand it. Didn't see the point in uh, having a creative outlet. You know, today he's got a really awesome car or something like that. He has something else that fills that void in his life that we fill with art. He fills with whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is I could I couldn't be car guy any more than he could be writer. Well, we all have our different means of, of coping and creating space. Yeah, that's my point. Pulling it back toward issues, those are kind of the issues that I have as a um, as, as a new uh, entry into the field. What are some of the issues that you guys face as more established entries? Well, I'd like to first say that, you know, I'm not that. Robin is by far the expert on this sort of thing. I'm, I'm, most of my work remains stubbornly fixated in the realm of not on the internet. So, uh, like, you I'm hoping that will change. you have experienced a lot of it, because, I mean, you're yeah. there at every convention with me. Sure, sure, but that's, that's not online. And, uh, I mean, uh, like, that isn't to say I don't have any experience online. Uh, right, I was a judge on the OCT, and I did a lot of, uh, um, we, we, we together did a lot of uh, work to write and create that world for other people to play in, and that material's online. Um, but that's, that's kind of a different thing, you know? I mean, all of that was so one-time only unique that I feel like um, if we're talking about somebody who is a veteran of the uh, field, that I kind of have to excuse myself. Well, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. but And the reason being that the it's not just we're sticking it online just to stick it online. There's a there's an end, well, maybe not an end goal, but there is a general hope to build a business and a life that's based in the creative aspects that we live in. Yeah. And we're in a unique environment 
that no artist has had before where we could utilize something like the internet to connect with people in ways that we never could have before. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, that's amazing. And on the other hand, it's incredibly frustrating and, and, and scary. Um, well, it's very new. Well, that's, that's one of, I think for me, one of the, one of the big issues is that things keep changing and it, there's this constant question for me of like, you know, here's a, here's a new bandwagon. Do I jump on this? Do I, uh, do I, do I, do I spend the time to figure out what this is and how it works and whether or not it will work for us and try it out? Or do I spend my time instead focusing on my product, creating the best page or whatever it is that I can right now? Mm-hmm. And I think in general, I've been not a first adopter, but maybe a, I, I seem to be the second generation in everything. An early adopter, not an innovator. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the person that sees the new thing and immediately jumps on it and manages to incorporate it and, you know, takes off. I'm always the person that's in the second group before every, like, the majority of everyone, but just on the tail end of that second group um, is, is when I'll start adopting things. So I did, a, you know, my first Kickstarter when a lot of people hadn't yet, but enough people had that I saw the merits of it. Um, I joined Patreon in much the same way. So I'm never on the front wave. So I never get that big boost that a lot of people have by being that first adopter. Um, but it's just, it's such a struggle for me, especially since I'm not very, um, I'm just not very good with technology. I never have been. I don't find it a very intuitive process. And I always get very overwhelmed by it, which is strange for someone to say that does most of their work online. But um, I'm, I'm so scared and getting back to insecurities. I'm so scared that the world is just one day going to move on without me and I'm not going to be able to keep up and it won't matter how good my product is. Um, no one will have heard of it because I won't have adopted the right means of conveyance hmm. at the right time. Well, I, I take your point, but how does that refute me saying that I'm not a... <laughs> oh, I was going to get back to that, but being me, I got off on a tangent. Um, I guess because conventions and going to conventions and, 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 and doing those kinds of things are part of that that trying to make a living. Yeah, I guess. Aspect. Um, and it's it's so difficult to make a living. <laughs> yeah. And it's related to in, in part technology because a lot of people are seeing their sales go down of physical products and you know we're just starting to have physical products and now I'm hearing that people aren't aren't making as much off of those. Like it's it's sort of like every time I think that I figure something out, I find out from some uh experienced individual that oh that's not working very well anymore. And I'm like, "Well, gosh darn it." What do you mean by physical products? Like people just aren't buying people books aren't anymore? buying books as much as opposed to when? as opposed to I guess a couple years ago as opposed to pre-internet <laughs> like like you yeah. know what I mean they're uh, or not pre-internet but like past past five years pre pre iPad pre sure. pre readers pre PDFs and it's 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 sort of this um, but we have PDFs I mean like that like we do but we're you know, I'm. Maybe I'm not expressing it very well. It's just it, that's that's an issue that I I want think about and I wonder about because it's just something where I've concluded that each creator has to find 
what they do best and what they sell best. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may not necessarily be what everyone else sells best. I had a, a person a couple of years ago say, oh, prints are, you've got to get into prints. Prints are the way to go. If you do, if you do artwork, you can, you can sell it for this much. Everybody wants them. Um, and we've tried it. And while we've had moderate success with some aspects of that, for the most part, I just either don't know how to design prints that people will buy, people aren't interested in the artwork the way that they're interested in my stories, or something. I don't sell prints very well, well but we I just, do sell books. Well, we just had to learn that. I mean, I, I think our mushroom prints are just as popular, as, or if not more now, than our books. And uh, the reason for that is, is we just needed a testing process to figure out, you know, what, what works with our audience. And what didn't work with the audience was some of the more storied prints where, where uh, you had to be a fan of the comic to really understand what was going on. And what did work was something that was commercially immediately accessible. Something where you could look at it and uh, either the story was readily apparent, you didn't need to have any foreknowledge, or you could insert your own story. And once we did that, our prints started taking off. I, I don't think that that's a dying thing. I don't think we came too late on the print market. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm just saying is that the advice that that person gave was what worked for him. That's and when true. I tried to do exactly what he said I should do, it didn't go well. Whereas when yes. I did things that I felt strongly about, that I enjoyed, those are the things that did well. Mm-hmm. That's the point I'm trying to make, is that everyone kind of has to find their own balance of what works and what doesn't. Sure. Well, I, I, I think it's uh, the most obvious thing in the world when somebody is trying to copy somebody else and it's not their thing. And and people have a sense of that. And I, I think they, uh, they know when you're not being genuine to yourself and they don't buy. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like I was being disingenuous. No, but... no, 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 no. I don't. I don't mean you. When I say you, I mean an artist, a creator, one mm. who is disingenuous is immediately uh, seen for like, like you said you weren't. Like, I'll I'll bring that back a bit. You said you weren't. You feel like you weren't being disingenuous, but you did say it wasn't your thing. It wasn't. Yeah, work I for you. I was trying to create what I perceived others would want. Yeah, rather so you than being creating the product that I would want. The, the, that's my point. You weren't being true to yourself. Ah, uh, I guess what I was saying is I wasn't trying to purposefully be what the other person was. I was trying to be what I perceived a customer would want. Right. As odd as that that sounds, um, and I guess in, in that sense I was being disingenuous. I don't know. Well, like like it's when you go into a job interview and you say, you know, I can do, I can do whatever you want. Um, what what do you need? Oh, you you need this? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, no, oh, you don't need that? No, you need this? Yeah, yeah, sure, I can do that. Well, you know, you're just telling me what what uh, what I want to hear would be the response that I would get in an interview if I did that. And it's the same thing. It's oh, well, uh, what kind of art do you want? Do you want this? No, how about this? Um, when it's when it should be, here's what I made. I made it because it moves me. I hope it moves you. Mm-hmm. At least that's. That's my approach when I come to storytelling. If I try to make something commercial, man, it's horrible. I, it's a train wreck every time I try to uh, do something that, that is a story that I think other people would like. It gets all Mary Sue and Leet Speak, and it's, it's just a mess. And the reason for that is just because that's, that's not what would move me. So it doesn't have my heart in it. 
Yeah, the problem is I think that a lot of artists run into is that they find that while that might be the case, it might be also what sells in the short term. Mm-hmm. I think that's why so many people uh, say, well, you know, yeah, I've got my own work, but I still have to do all of these prints of Spider-Man and Batman because that's right. what makes money. Yeah, I guess I guess we every other booth when we go to a con is a superhero uh, print booth. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I mean, as a result, we stand out, but we have to work really, really hard to, I guess that's, that's another thing, Matt, you, you know, asked about what issues. It can be really frustrating to be like, I've made this story that I just, I think is so unique. I've it's seen other people respond seen. to yeah. it. It's not something you've seen a million times before, but people are unwilling to give the different the time of day with, with a few very wonderful exceptions, but in general, people will complain about sameness, but when they see something different, are unwilling to even give it a chance. Well, you and said, that can be so disheartening. Yeah, you, you said earlier that you're not an innovator, you're an early adopter. Well, we're just getting to the phase where, where uh, we're just getting past all of those innovators who took a chance on our product, and we're now just starting to get early adopters. That's it's true. I mean, that's a good perspective to keep in mind. I, I just think it's, you know, the, the the mainstream isn't ready for it yet because it's just not big enough. And it will be, it'll get there. We're already getting there. That's how I feel. I'm very optimistic, though. Corey's the optimist in the group. I'm the pessimist. <laughs> I have a medal to prove it. Oh, that's right. You do. You have an optimist medal. Uh-huh. I don't know how I got it. Oh, oh, from like the optimist club when yes. we were in middle school? Yes, that one. Then you... You probably got it for perfect attendance. No, no. What I got it for was doing a speech for the Optimist Club oh. about optimism. A speech I had not prepared for. A speech I made up on the spot. You were optimistic about making it up on the fly. I think that's what got me the prize. <laughs> There's a kid who doesn't believe in planning and believes in nothing but hope. We should reward <laughs> that. Believes well, that would in be very, very hope. fitting, right? <laughs> It did kind of inform our school and speech careers. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, that's a bit off topic. P- point being is is that I think that, uh, yeah, wh- while it's true that it's very, very frustrating to, to watch as people make hand over fist by what is essentially plagiarism, um, and while, while people with genuinely uh, unique and uh, uh, amazing work that is completely original kind of become fallow and are thrown to the wayside. Um, at the same time, I think that if you stick with it, uh, you, you get to the point where, where it becomes acceptable, and, and that happens in phases. You have those innovators who will always be willing to put their money down for something unique. That person who, um, your first year at a, a convention, it doesn't matter what you have the, at the booth. If they haven't heard of it, they will buy it. You're always going to have that group. There are always going to be very, very few of them. And then you're going to have that group where, oh man, I might have heard of this. Hey, you, you, there, there's an innovator buying something from your booth. I'll buy two. There's your early adopters. And eventually you'll get to the point where people who come around have heard of you before. I mean, you, you're the one who told me. Um, typically people have to have heard of a product three times before they will consider buying it. Actually, I think it's five. It could be. Well, we we, have, we actually had that happen to us where we we'll, we we'll, we went to Comic Fest this year and they'd be like, "Yeah, I saw you at Comic Fest last year and at DCC." And then you, they kind of have that look over the face where, "Well, if you're still around, you must be doing something right." And then they buy. Yeah. And I think that there's also um 
again, to come back to, to the internet element, is that people get a chance to build a long-term relationship with you over time. Mm -hmm. And that helps bridge the gap. Because then they're not only supporting something different. They're supporting a friend. Yeah. They're supporting someone that they care about that maybe has done something kind for them or just provided content that mattered to them. Um, and it, it does it, – I've just been marveling at um, how this time – because we, we ran the Kickstarter for Volume 3 six months ago and it failed. Um, and we did a lot of work to raise half the cost ourselves. And this time – I just feel like I'm in such a, a better place. And in the meantime, I've met more people and connected with more people and become more human, like we were talking about earlier. And I feel like this has been a much better experience this time around because I'm, I feel like instead of having to sort of beg and scrape for community support, um, the community is much more willing to, to, help without having to be asked most of the time and maybe it's just my perception because i'm i'm mentally in a better place or maybe it's just that that time was well spent um cultivating that community more instead of um acting from a, a more desperate place And I think that that yeah, the, the the community building, the connection, that's what keeps people going, and that's ultimately what will separate it out. Anybody can be someone sitting there drawing superheroes. And I'm going to come back to one brief point there in a second, but um, anybody can sit there and draw superheroes. It takes it takes a lot more work and effort and sweat and tears to make something new and make something new work. But in the long run, if you're doing it for the, the creative expression, that's going to be the only reason to do it in the long run. Well, and I think the personal, or... personal connection thing is the new model. Um, you know, you look at like, uh, the innovators in the webcomic area, like Penny Arcade, and they were big, but they exploded when they uh, made it uh, about not just Penny Arcade, but Mike and Jerry. Once they had that thing where you can really kind of see who they are and you get to know them as real people and you support them as what you would consider friends, that's when they uh, uh, blew up and take, uh, took off. And I think uh, that that's going to be the new model. You, you look at like uh, an, an old school author like, say, Stephen King, Orson Scott Card, that sort of thing, and you... Uh, you know, I'm sure at the start of their career, they were just like us where it was, you know, my mom was nice and bought this book. And that's the support I have right now. Sure. But now, nobody but their mother knows them personally. You know what I mean? I mean, th th they still have their circle of friends. And uh, and it has expanded. But the vast majority of their fans are people who will never see the man, will never know what he's really like in person. Whereas with uh, us... Uh, and with Penny Arcade and with these kind of uh, internet models, the idea is even as you expand, even if we get to the point, hopefully, where we have hundreds of thousands or millions of fans and followers, they're all going to be our friends. They're all going to be people who are personally supporting us because they like who we are, what we stand for, and what we do. Not because they just like our work, but because they've seen who we are because we share who we are. I think that is where the world is going. At least on the internet. 
and I, I I agree. The 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 solo model for a lot of works is changing. Web comics don't exist without that community. Now, to go back for a brief moment, you said it's basically plagiarism, and I just want to clear up something. It's not basically plagiarism, it is plagiarism. Sure, yes, absolutely. Um, I guess I have very strong feelings. writing an article on that very thing. <laughs> I, I have very strong feelings on the subject, um, but it's not good to bring that kind of vitriol to... You know, I'm going to be at the convention. I don't want to be that guy to my neighbor. And yeah, oh, I'm not, I'm not saying you should leap down their throats. I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there. If anybody is sitting there going, well, what if I went to a convention and and, and draw Superman? And it's, I just want to say, that is still plagiarism. Yeah. I mean, as, as it stands, it's largely unenforced, but it is still totally illegal. Yes. And... If you are listening to this, in the near future, there will be a basic explanation of this going out, and I will actually be... Can I can I announce it, Robin? Yeah, sure. I don't see any, any problem announcing it. I will be on the August... Well, we'll be recording on August 27th. I don't know when it will go up. Yeah, there's um, usually a delay. And it, in a Webcomic Alliance chat podcast where... As an attorney, I, I talk to the Webcomic Alliance crew about uh, copyright law for webcomic creators and that kind of issue because it came up uh, recently on the Webcomic Alliance podcast. And there is no other conversation people are having without me that I will not try to force my way into, I guess. Well, <laughs> well I mean, you have an ex- to do with a law. level of expertise yeah. that we do not have. And we flat out said in the episode, well, well, none of us are lawyers. And I think that actually that's the thing that I think comes up uh, fairly often for online creators is so many of us have to wear so many hats and there's a lack of expertise in some key areas. And I think one of them is legal issues. Yeah. Business is that, the other big one. Yeah. Business and legal issues that either people, uh, aren't willing to educate themselves on or simply uh, become educated in such an ad hoc manner where it's, well, I heard from this person that this was okay. If uh, and, and there's all these little, like, well, if you only make 10 prints of this, then it's, then it's okay. And then, then, then it's legal. Or if you make sure that you only have a limited run, then it's legal. Or if you don't sign your name, it's le- like all these little things where people are like coming up with almost these, uh, these like ancient potion recipes for how to keep something legal, but no one actually has a, a a actual understanding of the law. Yeah. When it comes to their rights, copyrights, um, fair use parody. And these questions come up over and over and over again. And I think that is one of the biggest issues that uh, that's why I'm really excited to have, have you, share your expertise, Matt, with the community because you actually are a creator so you understand a lot of the mindsets and a lot of concerns, but you're also a lawyer. You also have this legal background and this expertise that I think people could really benefit from because a lot of the time it's just that they don't they don't know and they don't know where to look. And I think that comes up with everything. I know with the business stuff, 
that's why I started taking some of the MBA courses, not that they were very useful, I, but I thought like, well, sh I don't know what I'm doing right or wrong. I don't know what's, what's proper or improper. And I always do things overkill. So half the stuff that I've done to set up the business, probably I wouldn't have needed to do, but I felt like I needed to do everything the right way. And who's to say that, you know, that was right or wrong, but we've had several people be like, well, you know, you guys are so small as a company right now. You probably don't need to be doing this. I mean, it's, it's perfectly, you know, correct that you are and everything, but I mean, you're paying a grand total of $8 in taxes to the government. They don't care. <laughs> it probably takes them more money to process what you're sending them than, than it would if for you to send in your, your payment, that kind of thing. So the moment you think that the government doesn't care about your money, though, yeah, that's I guess when that's, they do. For me, I've always been the kind of person that believes in asking permission first rather than trying to get forgiveness after hurting someone later. Yeah, um, especially when that someone hurt. can take you to jail. <laughs> um, but I think that that's a big issue. Is just that that feeling of I know that I'm out of my depth. I know that I need to learn and I don't even know where to start. And right. so and often, I, go ahead. I was going to say, this really wasn't me attempting to drum up, uh, uh, drum up interest for my eventual podcast and article. It, it was just that that has recently become one of my, uh, uh, little bugaboos because it was the point when people were listing their um their the the odd beliefs like if you only do 10 prints that you know that it's not not infringement that i was almost yelling at my cell phone well so. no and, and that's that i guess that's that's entirely my point is that there's sort of like this Especially for people that have decided, you know, like to get out of being a hobbyist and commit to being a business person. There is a, a huge mental transition that has happened to me when I did that. That when I went from saying, oh, I'm treating this like a job to, no, this is a job. This is a company. It is registered. I am paying taxes on it. I have to have an accountant. Um, and then leaving the engineering job and no longer having that crutch was like another transition. I, I think that that's the, one of the things is that if you're really tirelessly working towards a particular goal and it's not, you know, being a hobbyist is totally fine and wonderful. And in a lot of ways, the ideal, if, if you enjoy your job enough and, and you're satisfied with where you're at there, because there are so many additional headaches that come into think, play that you never anticipate. Um, yeah, not to turn just... you all off of it. <laughs> huh? Not to turn you all off of becoming a business person and becoming, you know, getting out of the hobby. Well, no, I, I think I think that both are great, but I, I'm, I'm not trying to discourage anyone, but I guess I think that, and, and maybe there's no way to prepare for it, but what people often don't realize is that when you become full-time anything or even a part-time uh, creative person for a living you don't get to do the the art stuff that you like full-time that, that's like most of your time suddenly becomes wrapped up in taxes or logistics or answering client emails and responding to things because you're suddenly tr trying to find ways to get income 
any way you can. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. And a lot of it's not the work that you want to be doing. Yeah, it isn't fun. That's for sure. It, I mean, it's, it's that those parts aren't fun, but the end goal, I don't know how to describe it. It just, it, there's a lot more to it than I, than I thought when I was imagining what it would be like. And I had this idea that I would just have this studio and I'd get to work on nothing but, but, but comics all day long. And that's all I would do. And every now and again, I get to have a day like that, but it is usually once in a month. And the rest of it is, is a very different kind of experience than that. Um, and I guess that's, it's just been a continual surprise. And I don't know where, I don't know what my life will look like in six months from now. And that's a really strange place to be that my life just keeps changing so much. And I just don't know what it's going to look like. And it's, I've almost given up trying to guess. It's just, what do I need to do this month, this week, this day? And how do I get through that? That's pretty much how as, I live all the time. <laughs> oh well, so I guess to you this is this is normal, but to me who who thrives off of plans and achievements and goals and and is not about the journey, it's it's a huge struggle to try and learn sure. to value the journey, um, because it makes me anxious about whether or not I'm going to get to where I'm going, and that's not something I would have anticipated happening when I was. A wee beep. Well, there's there's a reason why most people get a nine to five day job. There's a reason why most people are very very content letting someone else think these thoughts, and and uh, it's it's easier to just kind of focus on the one piece of work that you're good at, even if it's not necessarily your dream, and just become good at that. And it, it's certainly simpler, but most people don't. Uh, most people don't uh, make a huge mark when they do that. So if you're if you're inspired to kind of share your art and become uh, become that person who's self-employed, it it takes a lot of courage. I don't know if I would describe it as courage. <laughs> I, I would, would describe. It I as... think you're very brave, Robin. Oh, I think you're people, very brave. People say that to me a lot, and I mostly view it as just being more terrified of the the unknown. I'm I am so terrified of what I perceive as the known that I am willing to brave the unknown because it is significantly less scary than than you know being an engineer for the rest of my life and hating going to work because I I honestly don't know if I would have made it five more years. Well, I I would not have been surprised at all if I had had a heart attack. Or some had done something to myself before that. It just was such a miserable existence for me. Well, courage and is so, not the lack of fear. Yeah, but doing something because you're afraid of something is not exactly bravery either. <laughs> Forethought then. Prudence. Forethought. Fair enough. <laughs> this is a virtue, is my point. Like, like regardless of how you're you're couching it, ultimately. There are people who make the leap, and there are people who don't. And you're one of the people who's made the leap. That's a big you, thing. Don't uh, yeah. Don't discount that you you got to a point where you could do that, where you and you did it smart. You you didn't yeah. just go with no savings, with no no fallback plan. You did it in a sustainable way. 
I suppose. I didn't mean to make this into a well, no, this is, this is one of those, thing. No, no, this is one of those things where you were talking about how uh, if our subject is different challenges we're facing, this is one of them. How do you make that transition? And I think you're a great example of how to do it right. I am really glad that I that I moved to a part-time job as opposed to doing it cold turkey. Because when I had always sort of fantasized about how it would work out, it was always that I would... I would somehow sort of overnight, I'd have this huge, you know, I would get discovered. That's the one thing. I'd, I'd have a lucky break and someone would discover me. And suddenly overnight, my comic would go from not earning any income to earning income all by itself. And then I would dramatically storm into my, my detested boss's office and I'd throw down my resignation and I would say, boldly declaring to the world, I am going to make comics and I'm never going to see these people ever again. And then I would just, in a blaze of glory, leave and go do comics full time. And while that was fun to think of and sort of had that little bit of vindictive glee element to it um wanting wait putting my future into a mythical person that would discover me and make my future for me is a great way never to reach the future that you want because no one is going to give you success you have to build success little pieces at a time and there's been so much um transitions that have happened just by going to part-time teaching and while that actually gave me less time overall to work on my comic it gave me a lot more one mental space to process through the transitional period of becoming someone that looks for ways to make income looks to to build off of the skills i have or learn new things to create income um, leverage these skills leverage, rather than the, leverage uh, skills that I have rather than the engineering skills that you don't want to continue developing exactly yeah um, and it's also given me access to new opportunities I never would have considered like the after school classes that I'm doing um, that have been a joy to teach and really valuable learning experience for me and hopefully for the kids <laughs> I'm hoping that they're getting something out of it. They seem to be enjoying themselves. Well, that's that's enough. If you give, if you inculcate in them a uh, love of creating, well, you did your job. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my thought too. Um, but it's it's helped me cultivate new mindsets that that now I can actually imagine in a in a reasonable way one day transitioning into doing the creative parts full time. And how I could cultivate and grow different aspects that I'm doing now and maybe one day actually produce for myself success and income and all those other great things um, that doesn't rely on sort of a magical overnight event that's never going to happen. Well, that guy you're talking about, the guy who discovers you, he's got a name. The Devil. (laughs) You owe him, like, freaking everything. I, I'm not sure the devil actually exists. I, I'm just saying, it would be that kind of person who'd be like, yes, I've discovered you. Y- mm. You will be paid to do your art. Now sign away the rights to all of your work. I'm also not sure that we should be equating literary agents with the devil if any of us ever want a publication deal. I'm not saying that... Uh, like, like, I, 
we're talking that overnight sort of thing, right? Like, God, I don't, I don't know. Like, it is possible. You're saying that it's, it's if if a good is the, if a deal is that good, it's probably not true. As I understand it, with literary agents, you have to send your work into them. Yeah, I mean, in general, if, if I have found that if someone is coming, if a company is coming to me, they don't have my best interest in they want at heart. They well, want they want yeah. something, and they perceive uh, a way to get more benefit for themselves than benefit for me. Well, even, well, and as they rightly should as a company, I mean, they, oh, yeah. they have a bottom line to consider as well, but um, but even if you go to them, they're still going to be looking out for their best interests first. Yeah, but I mean, in general, I have found that if you go looking for a service and you vet different people that provide a certain service, you are much less likely to get screwed over than if that service comes to you. Sure. So if I was to go looking for a lawyer... Um, which I have to set up my business or looking for an accountant, I am much more likely to find someone that truly is interested in treating it as a client relationship than if a lawyer came to me and said, hey, I can give, get win this lawsuit for you or whatever it happens to be. Like There is a vested interest difference there in that kind of personality type. Mm-hmm. Um, or even just with Kickstarters, the amount of people that will come out of the woodwork when you start a Kickstarter promising you riches and fame is a little disturbing these days. And I'm sure they make a lot of money off of it. And, you know, maybe some of them even result in, in well-funded Kickstarters. Oh, but... whether, well, they'll promise that your Kickstarter will be funded for a percentage of it? Yeah, or a flat fee, or any number of things, and you could you could spend yourself broke these days trying to fund your Kickstarter through funding services that promise yeah. the moon and above. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe some of them can deliver, but I'm I would rather make I would rather make it without them than than pay someone that to make it for me. Right. Maybe that's elitist or something like no, that. Like, but... You're just being cautious, and I guess that's my point. Is when when you made the transition, you were cautious, and this is a a uh, an outgrowth of that. It's you know, protect yourself. You have your best interests in mind. You can't count on anybody else to protect yourself. Yeah. Well, and a lot of that came from um, uh, I read John A. Cuff's The Quitter, uh, which is a book about. When is when when are you ready to quit your day job? And the first thing it basically says is don't quit your day job. Um, and I read that at a time when I was like, I'm just going to quit my job completely. And then the mindset was I was going to completely throw myself willy nilly into trying to make the small business work. And then when it failed completely, at least I could could end my days saying that I had tried. That's not and a great was, business was, strategy. No, it's not. The vindictive it, I tried model kind of sucks. But at the time, it seemed like, you know, I the felt so hopeless. And I felt like there was no exit. And I read that book, and it talked a lot about how to cultivate skills while you have the day job. So you can get to a point that when you do transition out of that into a creative endeavors full-time or small business or whatever it, it happens to be, it is a transition, not a freefall. And so I, I got to credit a lot of the decisions that you're saying were so smart to that book because I was, I was ready to do it the stupid way 
Well, you one year into Ley Lines this publication. I wouldn't have known not to quit Cold Turkey. I mean, like, yeah, I credit to the book, but I also credit to you for doing the research, finding right. a good resource to tell you Let's, not to commit suicide. Basically, yeah. don't don't underestimate the the value that you should assign to having this the these. Uh, presence of mind to read a book because well but i had i had a a very lucky find which was the paper wings podcast um which is now uh a little bit different it's transitioned into different things but the website and the old podcast still exists and if anyone is is kind of feeling that's that way that i described i really recommend you you looking up chris oatley and the paper wings podcast and just listening to those old episodes because for me they were like a lifeline at a very, very important moment uh, in in time. And I think that I would have made a lot of really stupid decisions and, and, and given up on a lot of my dreams if I hadn't found that at the time. So a lot of it is just a lucky lucky finds at the right time. And I guess that's that's part of why this journey is so hard is that at the end of the day, you, you what you're doing is just working hard to give yourself opportunities to have lucky finds. You're putting yourself in a position where you can connect with people and you can do things and things lead to other things. And there's not a lot of point actually in worrying about what's going to happen in one year or five years or whatever, because you don't know who you're going to meet or what you're going to do or what kinds of projects might come, come your way in between now and then. So better to just keep working at what you're doing and try to do the best you possibly can and be producing and putting it out there and meeting people because that's ultimately what's going to lead you to something that you never anticipated happening. Um, uh, I have a few thoughts on what you just said. The first one is that uh, one of my favorite quotes that you introduced me to is that uh, luck is opportunity meeting preparedness, and which is kind of a different way of saying you make your own luck. You ha- yeah, you're right. You had you 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 met Chris Oatley at the right time. You read this book at the right time, but you were also open to hearing the messages that that were in those books. So you created your own luck in that regard, and I think that's that's a good thing to kind of keep in mind as a creator. If I'm going to be looking to make this transition, I want to be in an open place where I can take as much information in about how to do it right as possible. Um, so that's that's one thought. The second one is uh, you said you know the worrying doesn't matter and it's useless. I totally agree. But if you're like Robin, you will worry anyway. You'll worry anyways. Uh, and um, actually, and you'll Robin worry and about I, the fact that you're worrying because <laughs> you know that worrying's not helpful, but you can't stop worrying about it either. So you just become a ball of anxiety. Right. And that's a whole other issue that a lot of artists <laughs> we face. We should talk about how to deal with creative anxiety. Sure, sure, we we can hit that next, I guess. Um, and then my last point on this, what you said about worry was, uh, I was going to save this for our stuff at the middle slash stuff at the end. But uh, what's inspired me this week is that Robin and I took my parents out to the Night Vale live show at the Paramount Theater here in good old Denver, Colorado, this last Saturday, and um, it was a it was a fun show. Um, Pretty well written for the most part. There was some missteps, but for the most part, it was very good. It was uh, uh, accessible enough was that it? my hmm? the it was the Welcome to Night Vale live show. Yes. No, no, no. I mean, but they have was it the librarian show yes. or yes. what was the name yes. of the show? It was it was, it was, it was about librarians. Show. Yes. Okay, then that was the one that I saw in Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah, it oh, was. The, it was the same script. Too. Okay, so. <laughs> 
Go yeah, see it. I've got it's a two fun show. I've got two posters for it sitting uh, right next to where I am recording this. Awesome. awesome. Well, I guess we all know what I'm going to say then is uh, um, he, he had a soliloquy at the end about fear, but uh, and he mentioned worry in there, but I think it, it works here. It's, um, all, all of these things are books at a library, and occasionally you want to check them out and read them, and that's fine. But um, there's a time when it comes to put them back on the shelf. So when you have worry, sure, check it out, read it, read your worry, determine what it is, you know, be open to understanding its value. But at the end of the day, when you've finished checking out your worry, take it back, put it back on the shelf, and check something else out. Don't carry it with you. And that means a lot to me, because it... I think it's really, really important to understand that um, we as artists are not just artists. We're not just warriors. We're not just ball of neuroses. We're not just our flaws that we are sharing with the world. We are whole people. And it's really important to remember that and to uh, take a look and analyze and, and be comfortable with every part of ourselves. That openness will make me a better writer. It will make uh, Robin a better, better comic artist. It'll make anybody better at whatever it is they're doing. So I, I think it's important to just kind of remember that. Yes, worrying has value. Acknowledge that value. Then put it away. So it's what did you want to talk about? You wanted to talk about well, no, how I'm to saying deal with... I think the talking about inspirations for the week is, is a good time right now. Sure. Um, and it just sort of, it's odd because on that same day I was having, I was in one of those weird moods that I described that I often get into. And I was, um, we were passing a an old factory and I was trying to get a photograph of it because I'm going to be doing a section that has a lot of industrial locations in it in ley lines and it just it occurred to me how strange us being on this planet is and how strange everything that we've created is and how this just the scale of just getting electricity to people all across the nation, or the the highway system, all you know it, that we are all so connected and at the same time so distant to one another and different and alien to each other, and the idea that any of it exists at all is this absurd miracle, and that the fact that it is such an absurd miracle makes the idea that anything is normal just ridiculous because there's nothing normal about the fact that we exist and trying to be normal trying to be what everyone else is is so fundamentally pointless because we are all miraculous just being here i don't know it was it was a thought that is really hard to express but felt profound at the same time when you say it aloud it sounds sort of ridiculous <laughs> i disagree i i think it's important i'm my, my my initial thought on that is i feel grateful mm. i'm blessed in so many ways and one of the most fundamental ways i am blessed is in that i exist at all um again one of the quotes from night vale is uh your existence is not impossible but it also is not very likely and that's so true um Philosophically, and I'll get on my soapbox here a little bit, um, so many people go through life feeling like they are owed something. Like, 
They've put in the work. They've done all of the work to deserve to be given this or that or to feel a certain way. And when when you mentioned how uh, how uh, you felt about how uh, being around and existing and anything being anything at all is already kind of a miracle, my, my thought on that is uh, I'm not owed anything. Life's already given me the greatest gift it could something I can never repay, and that's just me being here at all. And it's up to me to make the best of it and uh, share as much of what is good in me with other people as I can. Uh, and and I guess that's my way of repaying that gift. Matt, philosophize us with your-ness. Philosophize <laughs> us with my-ness, huh? <laughs> yes. How eloquent. I don't that, know, I that's can't... the demand that has been made of you. I guess I'm just, I haven't been as uh, existential uh, in the last... <laughs> that's, you don't have don't to know. be ex- inspired by the by existential vague ennui slash question mark. <laughs> that's good because I don't, you know, I, I have not looked at a caterpillar and contemplated the nature of change this week. Um... Oh, that was last week for me. Oh, okay. Get um, on that, Matt. You're missing out. Uh, well, I'm not saying I never have been. <laughs> I've spent some serious time pondering, you know. You don't have to deep, defend yourself. <laughs> I know how deep you the, are. The deep imponderables. Um, I don't know. This week, I've, I've mostly been... Inspired because I've I've seen a number of things as I as I look around the internet where people are making that space that they want to see. I started I started listening to a podcast by John Hodgman called the Judge John Hodgman podcast, which is really funny because he sets himself up as a judge and people write in with disputes and he resolves them online. On Online. podcast. Was yeah. he actually a judge? No. No. Just but they but they accept his judgment. his judgment. Right. But they swear an oath to God or whatever that they will abide by his ruling. Wow. So he's really just uh, an awesome mediator. Yes. Well, it's like Judge Judy. Sure. The only reason anyone goes on Judge Judy, uh, the only reason it has any force is because you sign a contract saying... I will listen to what this crazy lady yells at me. Right. Um, the fact that she actually was a judge, I want to say in like New York family court beforehand is completely irrelevant to her television judging. Right. Um, and so I started, I started listening to this and it's on an online network called the maximum fun network. And so I went into it and it's got a lot of interesting podcasts that I listen to several of now. And it's it's like an online NPR in that it's listener supported and does, they started by a, a, a couple of people who wanted to bring the kinds of programming that they'd always wanted to listen to to pe- other people who wanted to listen to it. And now it's got some very interesting podcasts, some very funny podcasts, and is is delivering that content that they set out to deliver and is successful in that. And it took a lot of work and they had to recruit, you know, 
minor television celebrities, but they got there. And so I've seen, I've seen a number of things like that this, this week that inspired me where it was, you put your stuff out there, you keep working at it. And even if you only ever achieve a modest success, you did it. And I've been looking at it recently and I read one of the other things that inspired me since our last podcast was um, an article on the Web Comic Alliance. Because now that I've told them they're all wrong about copyright, I might as well butter them up a little bit. <laughs> and it was the five things I'd do differently. And Robin, you said that one of the things that you would do differently is you would find a community sooner. And I thought to myself that I don't think it's any kind of surprise or any kind of it's not a coincidence that in the year in which we started doing this podcast and I started being more involved with you guys with Moco Press and talking about it more. I've written more in the last five months we've been doing this podcast than I had in the previous two years. I've accomplished more of those goals than I had in, in, in any stretch previously. Uh, um, I've gotten picked up for a publish uh, for a publication. I've got Border Online. I've got this podcast. I'm going to go, you know, write guest articles and do a guest podcast on the Webcomic Alliance, which is a group of people that if something, you know, more regular formed with, I would be thrilled with. Butter, 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 butter. But <laughs> that, that since I found this community of people, uh, one of which community has obviously been available to me since college, um, but since we started interacting in that community fashion, I've done so much more. And there's definitely something about, I, I mean, you were talking about it earlier that writing is such an isolated activity. And there is something so vital about forming a group of peers that have similar struggles, not necessarily experiences, but struggles that can relate to issues that you're going through or problems or joys or celebrations that they get it in a way that most people who are not peers can't access. And there's something that's just so, at least for me, was so, um, gave me a great sense of relief and support and it got me out of this place where I thought, oh, no one has ever experienced the problem that I am, I am experiencing right now. Um, and no one can help me to, well, gosh, I don't know how to do this, but maybe if I talk to so-and-so, they'll have some advice for me. Maybe I can call up this person. Maybe I can run this idea by this person. And suddenly the experience is no longer so isolated. Um, and I think that that's a really key experience to have. And the other piece of it is that I think that if anyone wants to accomplish something, if they want, if there's a particular kind of work they want to do with their, with their life, the best way to start the best way to get jobs and work in that field is to just do the work that you want to do, even if no one's paying you for it, because it gives you the skills that you need to become good enough to attract other people to you. Um, 
and it also gives you something to talk about. And there's something that's very important about having a project to talk to people about. He says, I found that it became so much easier to interact with communities when I had my own project. Uh, when I was making my own book for the first time, suddenly I could say, oh, I'm, I'm self-publishing a book and I'm looking into these things and do you have any advice? And I had a topic that I didn't have before I tried to do something like that. So having projects, even sometimes really ambitious projects, even if they fail miserably, gives you something to talk about that is just so vital to forming that community. So it's almost chicken, chicken and egg, but they go hand in hand and one leads to the next. So, I, I mean, I think that's a pretty, pretty great point. Um, for me, the way I, I relate to it is earlier we, we had a, uh, an episode about kind of creating that creative space for your writing. And for me, it was, you know, I had to, I had to tailor my environment. This is very much in that vein where you also want to, you know, tailor your community. Um, not in as much as you choose the people in it, though that can be a factor. Um, but just having a place where it is safe to express your uh, your creative passions, your your feelings, all all of these things in in a place, and and uh, I wouldn't say not be judged, but be judged as a peer, and that really really matters. Um, so that's my initial thought. Um, for me, uh, the importance of community was really brought into relief back when I was in college. Uh, for me, that community was my fraternity. And uh, school was difficult for me, and it was uh, something that I, I really, really didn't, uh, didn't focus on or excel as well as I could have. But the idea of this community that can help you get through, not just with your, uh, your academic studies, but with, with becoming... Uh, a better person. We did a lot of community service events, and uh, that that made a big impact on me as a human being. And in this way, uh, an art community is the same same sort of thing. It it creates an environment where it's safe to grow as an artist. Well, and that's what I love about both this podcast and the Webcomic Alliance is because it 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 starts to feel like a family. Mm -hmm. You have people that are willing to say, hey, go for it, you know? But at the same time, if they think an idea is legitimately bad, they'll be like, you need to stop. Like, it's, 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 but in a way that's actually useful and helpful. It's not like you don't feel torn down by it. You feel like, oh, wow, you just saved me a lot of trouble because I didn't see all these problems. And getting a straight, a straight answer on something from a, you know, from a brother or a sister or an uncle in spirit, not in blood, is something that um, I think has a lot of value to it. All right. Um, do we want to do a challenge today? This is going to be a pretty long podcast. It is. Yeah, we might need to skip the challenge this time because we've already gone close to two hours, I think. We have. Yeah. Um, all right. We can do that. Or we could put it out there for a purely reader challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like this idea. So, so today we're going to skip our traditional challenge, but we invite our readership to come up with their own challenges for us oh, and include geez. them in the comments on this uh, <laughs> podcast or to email them from to us. And we'll draw one out of a hat and then see which two poor suckers end up having to answer the call of your mighty challenge. So please feel free to send those to info at mocopress.com 
or go to www.mocopress and post your prompt challenge. How about that? Wow. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. I think that's a good way to do it. So so they, they do it, and all three of us have to participate. Yep. Oh, wow. And we see what dreams may come. In that case, Matt, where can we find more of your work? You can find more of my work at the occasionally read by my father, Border Kansas, <laughs> at www.border-ks.com. And you can find more of my work at leylinescomic.com. And, as always, mocopress.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to help us pursue our creative dreams and save us from our various neurotic tendencies, well, you can't do the latter part, but you can help us pursue the dream part at patreon.com slash mocopress. So thank you all for listening and keep at whatever you love. Music for this episode was created by Reasoner. You can find more of his work at reasoner.newgrounds.com. <laughs>